Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. So we're in our series, uh, Lenten series, called Powerful Purpose, and we're uh, also taking this experiment during this time to do this leap of faith. And we're uh, all of us uh, who are involved in it, and we will invite you, if you're not, to uh, be involved with this. We're uh, praying around three questions. What do I want Jesus to do for me? And uh, taking a step of faith and being specific and asking for something there. And I, I'm already hearing rumblings of some really cool answers to prayer, and hopefully we're going to be able to share those in the next few weeks with you. And the second question is, what do I want Jesus to do for my five? The five people in our lives who uh, are either uncertain of their faith or disconnected from meaningful involvement in church. And we're praying and expecting God to show up and work in our relationship to be a blessing and maybe spark uh, greater interest in them seeking God and finding God. And uh, one of the things I'm really excited about there is talking to a couple of people from small groups uh, at Quest, from the Quest groups, and uh, there's at least one group I know for sure that I was talking to who they're taking time to pray for their five as a group. And they're actually, as a group, planning some social events so they can get to know each other's five. And that's really the epitome of what we say when it's all about relationships and living life as friends with faith here as a vision. That's about as bare bones living out the vision as you can get. And I, so I applaud you in that. And just I'm still looking forward to what God's going to do through all the prayers we're praying. Can we just stop for a moment and pray for our five? And I'll, I'll pray, but you pray too for the five. Lord, we just ask that you would come right now and continue to be active among us. Lord, thank you for the way you're stirring ideas. Thank you for the way you're stirring conversations and opportunities, even, even this last week, in answer to our prayers for the five people that each one of us are asking for you to become more real to, more uh, compellingly good in their life in a way that they choose to follow you and discover how amazingly beautiful and good you are. Lord, just continue to do that. And Lord, I look forward to hearing the answers to prayer of lives changed uh, in the coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. We have one last question we're also praying for. What is God prompting me to do with Quest to increase the peace and prosperity of the community? And I am so looking forward to the little bit of stuff I hear stern in people's prayer around that, too. We'll be talking about it more over the next few weeks. So today's message is not an ordinary message in many respects. It's not ordinary from the standpoint that we're going to do live Q&A throughout this series at the end of the message. So anytime while I'm talking, if there's a thought or a question that you want me to interact around, you go ahead and send it in. And you can send it in by logging on to the Cafe Wireless and uh, go to questions.gotoquest.org and uh, submit it. And if you're feeling lucky with your cell reception in here, you can text it in and it'll go to the same place. So uh, anytime during the sermon or during the message, you can do that. It's also not normal today because uh, I'm going to actually walk you through a process and I'm going to invite you to homework. What a dreaded word. But this is going to be really, really good. I'm actually going to walk you through a process today about how God shapes you, has shaped you in the past to help you discover more deeply how God's been active. I don't care if if you were not a follower of Jesus for most of your life or if you're still unconvinced about Jesus. God is at work. His Spirit is at work in your life 
shaping a really good purpose that He created for you, created for you to walk into, and He wants you to walk into that. And so we want to pay attention a little bit to our past in that, and that's what we're going to look at today, how He's been shaping it. And the materials for you to do this exercise, if you walked in the main entrance, you probably were wondering what all those stickies and all those papers were on that center table there. They're for you to take home. So uh, as we go through today's message, I'm going to walk you through a number of steps. You don't need to take any notes at all on the steps we're walking through. There's a sheet out there that's going to walk you through everything I'm taking you through. We're just going to walk you through it today to illustrate it, to give you an idea, to help spark you in getting this going for yourself. Um, Jeremiah 29 says uh, this about God's purpose for us. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And he's saying this to people who are in a desperate, difficult situation at the time. And he says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. He wants you to find him. And he wants you to walk into the purpose he's declared for your life. But the Bible also talks about the fact that our future uh, in him, our destiny, is actually rooted in our past. And it invites us repeatedly in many places to remember. One of the most interesting places I think where it invites us to remember is actually uh, in the middle of giving the Ten Commandments. There's this dialogue, this commentary about one of the commandments. And it says this in Deuteronomy 5. It says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. You see, the whole idea behind the practicing of the Sabbath was simply that a lot of times we don't recognize God at work in our life because we don't take the time to slow down, to remember, to reflect. The giving of the Ten Commandments around the Sabbath is all about having that habit in your life of being able to slow down and see where God has been at work and recognize it and learn from it and grow from it and worship in it. And the Bible also talks about consequences for us if we fail to take the time to remember. In Psalm 106, it says this, We have sinned, even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet you saved them for his name's sake to make His mighty power known, referring to God. Now, you thought probably when I said, oh, there's consequences if we don't follow this, that it's all going to be negative. It's going to be, oh, you forget and you don't remember bad you, right? But that's not who God is. I mean, clearly, when we understand the stories the psalmist is referring to, if the people of Israel had remembered and taken the time to remember what God had done, they would have walked through some challenges with a whole lot more ease and a whole lot more peace and a whole lot more joy. But the text says that in spite of them not remembering and in spite of when we don't take time to remember, God is still at work pursuing us, trying to save us, trying to set us up to do exactly what He called us and created us to do, what's going to bring us the great, greatest amount of joy. Now, the exercise, the, the process I'm going to walk you through today, I first did in 1998, and it, and it changed my life. 
It was uh, one of the most meaningful processes I've ever done. And since then, I've done it with dozens and dozens of people uh, over the years. And I've seen people in their 20s really impact and find meaning. I remember a guy working with him in his late 40s who was struggling with the meaning in his life. And I, I remember him walking away with a very clear sense of purpose and idea. I even sat across the table from a guy who was a retired executive vice president at Boeing in his early 70s who did this and uh, watched as God brought so much meaning and so much focus to his purpose in life in retirement. It was, a, it was an amazing process. And I, I'm, I'm confident enough about this that if you will engage it, if you will take the time to actually do this, I can confidently say that you will also meet God in the moment and find some greater clarity for who you are and how he made you and what he's called you to be doing good stuff about. Now, as we walk through this, I'm going to illustrate it largely from David's life. And the reason I'm illustrating it largely from David's life this week and in another message coming up, we're going to talk more about David, is simply this. Uh, the only other person with as much written about him in the Bible as David is Jesus. And uh, the one distinction that David has is we know more about David from early in life till his death than any other single character in the Bible. We have a whole lot more detail about his life and the process of his life and how God interacted with him. And it talks about David as being someone who was faithful. God, in talking to Solomon in Second Chronicles, says, As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did. Now, for everyone who knows David's story, that sounds like a disconnect from reality, right? David messed up quite a bit. David had a lot of spectacular failures in his life. And yet, it says God views him as faithful. And it goes even beyond that. It talks about him as a man after his own heart. And a thousand years later in Acts 13, we see it talking about David as not only just a man after God's own heart, but a man who fulfilled all of God's purpose for his life. In spite of the spectacular failures. And it doesn't matter today if you are here and you've had spectacular failures in your life. God is still saying, I am at work in all of your past to bring everything in order. And I can still fulfill the good purpose I created you for no matter what's gone on in your life. And that's his invitation to us today. I mean, David's far from perfect the one thing he did have is he consistently turned towards God. He turned towards God in success. He turned towards God in failure. He turned towards God when he was feeling rejection, betrayal, when he was sin, when he himself sinned. He turned towards God with honesty and he fulfilled all of his purpose. So let's just jump into the process really quick and I'll walk you through the first couple steps very fast and then we'll get to some illustration of it. The first step is simply this. You're going to walk out today and you're going to grab a pad of yellow stickies. And you're going to go home and you're going to take time to think about the major events in your life. What are the major events in your life? The, the people who influenced you for good or for bad in your life in a significant way that impacted you. Uh, the circumstances, the relationship changes, maybe job changes, the, uh, the difficult times you've experienced that somehow when you think of these, uh, when you think of what defines who you are, these events start to come to mind. All you're going to do, you're not going to take time to evaluate them. You're just going to brainstorm. You're going to write them out on little stickies and you're going to do it for probably 15 minutes. And by the end of 15 minutes or 20 minutes, you're going to have probably somewhere between 20 and 50 stickies sitting on the table. Okay. The next step you're going to do in this process is you're going to take a look at your yellow stickies and you're going to, go, you're going to look at the ones that have pain associated with them when they occurred. 
And you're going to take those and you're going to replace those and rewrite those on, on pink stickies, re- rewrite their pain moments. And as you do, you're going to come out and, and uh, probably think of more things. Just keep adding them to this. And you don't need to write down these process steps at all uh, because you're going to have them in the handout. Um, the next step after that is simply this. Arrange them in chronological order. Just stick them on your paper. I had a question between services. Do I have to do this whole process all at once? No. Actually, by the time you get to here in 15, 20 minutes, you might want to take a break and think about it and come back. Just let yourself stew around it and think about it and come back to it maybe at some point. And this is actually where the fun starts, though. Once you get it in chronological order, the reflection and the insight stuff starts to happen. What I want you to do as far as this next step, and this has been used, I'm using a process that's uh, put together largely, we're borrowing from church resource ministries, their awakened material. Used it with uh, uh, many thousands of people have gone through their process. Uh, take a highlighter. Or if you have these little sticky dots, and take a look at your life on paper. And, is, and I want to really encourage you to actually write it out. There's something about writing stuff out that makes it real for us. Not just do this in your head. Write it out. Think about it. Take a look at stuff on your paper, and I want you to identify four to six major turning points in your life. What are the four to six major turning points? On our screen, they're identified. You're actually seeing a, a, a shorter version of my timeline, and they're, they're, you're seeing by the blue dots. So stick the blue dots or markers or whatever, highlight them. These moments are moments where uh, direction in your life changed or what motivated you about life or an attitude changed for better or for worse. Uh, they could be major life changes, a loss, a death, a, a change of job, a, a move, a, a financial change, a, a relationship change in your life. Or they could be a time that's just a, a personal awakening, a, a moment of epiphany where you understand either yourself or others or God better. Okay, Those are your turning points in life, a change in major perspective. And I want you to take a look at those four to six turning points. And I want you to just ponder them. Maybe even go back to them in your mind and allow yourself in your imagination and your feelings and your thoughts to go back to those moments that define that turning point for you and experience it again. And ask yourself, how did they change you? Where was God in that with you, speaking and ministering to you in those moments? What new perspectives became a part of your life at that time of your life? How were your... How are your passions, how are your values, what you live and die for in life, shaped by those events? In what ways did you understand your gifts or your skills better uh, by going through that? In other words, how have those experiences changed the way you live and what you live for, right? In David's life, we see a number of key turning points in his life. Uh, one of them we alluded to last week, not didn't go into detail. We're going to talk about a little bit now. This, this turning point where he went from obscurity and rejection to his first big success by following God and having a heart after God. It was at an early age. And actually, this is quite amazing if you look at David's life. David, we don't always think of it, but David experienced significant rejection growing up. I mean, think about it. He's referred to in a way that kind of gives you the feel he was treated as the runt of the litter. Youngest of like eight kids or whatever. I can't remember something like eight kids. Uh, he experienced significant rejection growing home. If you look at his story, Samuel. So Samuel, the 
prophet, the, the judge. It would be, like, be like the president, the Supreme Court justice, the, the chief of the Supreme Court justices coming, and the biggest prophet in your nation coming to your home. He call, basically sends a message ahead. Says, I'm coming to your home. I'm going to have dinner with you. I want all of your sons there. This is the biggest thing that's ever happened in Little Bethlehem. And Little Bethlehem at that point is just this little podunk village. This is the biggest thing that's happened. And this guy shows up, and where's David? Nowhere to be found. They didn't consider it worth even asking a neighbor to go watch the sheep, to do the lowliest of tasks. He was relegated to do the grunt, lowliest work of anybody and not even allowed to be there. And we actually see a lot of people believe that this is what's reflected in Psalm 27 when he's talking about the rejection of his mother and his father. And, and, and it even goes beyond that. So he's anointed to be king in front of his family. And yet, what do you, how do you see his family treating him when he actually brings the bread and the cheese to his brothers at the front line, right? It's clear that his family just kind of poo-pooed it, didn't really believe it, didn't think this was going to happen. He experienced a lot of rejection, and yet, like referring back to our last week's message, the first stage of our life, the main thing that God wants us to master and do in responding to him and being developed as people of influence is to respond positively to him. We have little control over what family we're born into and some of the circumstances of our early life. But we see David responding positively to God, defined as a man who has a heart after God, and God honors that. We see another uh, turning point in David's life then come up as he goes and meets Goliath. And he goes from obscurity to great success overnight. And why is that? We actually see that first, the, one, the lesson of the second stage of growth in this story that we talked about last week. Last week we said the second stage of growth is the ability to be taken on all these roles and to be faithful in the little things as God begins to shape us and help us hone who we are, right? And we see that actually in the story with Goliath. What does David say when Goliath comes at him? He actually refers back to the faithfulness in the little things where God met him when he was out in the pasture by himself needing to face a lion and a bear. And he now equates that to this situation. And God honors the faithfulness in the little things. And all of a sudden he goes from nothingness and rejection to great fame. And the lesson really that he learns, the turning point lesson, is he learns that God is faithful to reward faithfulness. And he's, and, and, and that his own courage and leadership can be inspiring regardless of people's perceptions of him. There's another turning point in David's life. And it's relation, it's his relationship with Jonathan. Jonathan is the king's son, the rightful heir to the throne. He's an older man. He's more accomplished, more experienced than David. And yet we see this amazing relationship between David and Jonathan where they refer to their friendship as being closer than brothers. And David learns through that relationship that God is faithful in so many ways. He learns that God can provide deep support and friendship even when jealousy and fear should exist in a relationship. In fact, it did exist with Jonathan's dad. He also learns about humility and loyalty and honoring God and those in authority over him, even as Jonathan, the guy who should have been king, acknowledges that David one day is going to be king and he's willing to serve him 
and faithfulness. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine that moment of an older, more respected person speaking into your life? Have you ever had that experience where somebody of authority in your life spoke into your life with such power and credibility in a similar way, in a way that settled something in you, right? For me, for me, I've referenced it probably way too many times, sorry, but there's, in my master's level work, there was a guy in my life who spoke into my life that caused me to believe I could dream bigger and actually help me respond to God because God was asking me to dream bigger. Other turning points that I've seen in people's lives going through similar processes like this is people who might say, I'm not responsible for things God has never assigned me to do. That's a learning point from a turning point. That rhymes, doesn't it? After a mentor helps someone transition from a different failure to success, someone said, I will not allow circumstances to define me. I've heard many people going through this process go, wow, God, God showed up in my secular workplace for me. And the light went on that they were actually called to that place. And there was something that changed in them. I watched a successful businessman who is struggling with failure, struggling with uh, the fact that he could never seem to grow a business really, really big. He had gone in and taken over a number of decent-sized businesses who were, that were dying and, and, and turned them around, but he, every time he couldn't get it to just break out and he'd go on to the next place and then he'd be angry because it, broke, it, it would break out and go great after him. And he felt like a failure until he started to look at his timeline and started to analyze it and all of a sudden went, this is what God has made me for. My definition of success is not God's definition of success. I'm designed to turn things around. Something about Jonathan's friendship grounds David even more in God's faithfulness. And he faces the test of success and praise and the test of rejection, the very real threat of death from King Saul, which brings us actually to the next step in our process. How has God shaped us through the pink stickies? How has God shaped us through the pain moments in our life. Last week we talked about the third stage of how God leads us and develops us as leaders called role maturing. And we talked about the critical challenge of that phase for us is, is this whole submission to authority. If we want to be the kind of leaders God wants us to be, we first have to be really good followers of God and others. And oftentimes God sets us up in places where we're following difficult people to follow. And David has this turning point illustrated for in his life very clearly. He's elevated to the most praised commander after the defeat of Goliath and many other successes. And he's leading some of the best troops in Israel into battle. And he's, he's actually receiving more praise for his accomplishments than the king himself. And David has some opportunities in this time period to fulfill the calling that God had given him to be the king. One of them was a time when King Saul, out of jealousy, attacked him. He could have easily killed King Saul, and it would have been justified self-defense. But he chose not to. There were many of times that he could have manipulated the praise of the crowds, and he could have become king, and people would have been happy, but he chose not to. Instead, we find him fleeing for his life, living in caves, trading the best soldiers following him, for the Bible tells us the riffraff of Israel came to form an army around him. 
wrongly accused of sedition, unjustly sentenced to death by King Saul. And this doesn't, wasn't just a bad summer. This was seven years. Seven years hiding out in caves and in crags, in the cold, in the winter, in the rain, in the heat. On two occasions during the seven years, David finds himself hiding in a cave as Saul and his 3,000 men are pursuing him, trying to just stay away from him. And the king, completely unaware that David and his men are in the cave, wanders into the cave and is completely vulnerable and unprotected. And David's men are all saying to David, this is God's will. He has allowed this to happen for you to kill him so you can become the king. God has brought this to you right now. And it would have been very justified, right? Because in the pursuit of David, Saul had also murdered unjustly priests and their entire families in a village. This was not a good guy. This was an evil guy. I mean, why not make the change now? Why not settle the evil now and move on to the good sooner rather than later? Is what they're tempting David with. See, all of us at some point face this challenge. Will we manipulate or force a takeover to assert our own authority in a situation at work or in life? Will we deftly undermine a colleague or a boss who is not as competent or they're difficult or they're unfair or they're unjust to gain authority for ourselves? Or will we serve and trust God to make the way for us. This is where the depth of surrender to what the New Testament says of taking up our cross and following Jesus really hits the road for us. Or to use another way that they talk about Jesus taking up his cross in the New Testament and applying it to us, for the joy set before us, persevering, enduring the difficulty of relationship with others so that God's power can be known through us so that we can be influencers who bring healing where healing is needed. Freedom where there's only addiction and control and stuckness or hope where there's no hope or, or love instead of cynical suspicion and politics of the office. Because our ability to influence anything of lasting value all hinges on our ability to lead like Jesus. And God tests our ability to do that. Will we honor God by honoring God's intended purpose in the people around us? For King David, or for, for David, that was King Saul. As evil as he was. Will we tend to believe the best, even about difficult people around us, that God has call, that God has a calling on their life and treat them with respect and generosity and kindness, regardless of whether they respond to God or not. And that was the test David was tested with. And he chose to wait and honor Saul. When you go through your timeline, you're going to have to ask God about those pink stickies. Ask him about, ask him about the pain that's there. Uh, God's not the author of the pain. Our sin, other people's sin, the fact that we live in a sinful fallen world where death exists is the cause of the pain. But God's not the cause of it. But God uses every pain we experience to create some redeeming value in some way. We rarely understand the pain when we're going through it. 
But in retrospect, a lot of times we can. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works together with those who love him, in other words, to bring about good from any and all circumstances, easy or difficult, success or failure, saintly behavior or the pain of sinful living that we experience. God's intent is to reshape us and reframe the meaning and redeem those horrible experiences to create some sort of positive momentum and meaning that guides the purpose of our life. I mean, isn't it true that some of the things about which you are most passionate about making a difference in life are a result of the pain you experienced and the fact that you don't want anybody else to experience that pain or you don't want anybody else to go through that same pain alone? How has God been at work in the painful experiences of your life? Wendy and I look at our past painful experiences and and we would see as we did this timeline how many of our most strongly held values, many of our healthiest perspectives on who God is, were actually shaped by those painful moments. I won't go into a lot of detail, but we worked in a setting for a long time that it was really just all about what you produced and there was little regard for the person and there was a lot of difficulty, a huge turnover in the staff constantly going on, just feeling beat up and used. And that formed a lot of our relationship values about how we lead. I'm not a naturally relationship-oriented person. I'm about as task-driven as they come. And yet, God used the pain and the disappointment on the heels of great success in that environment to shape who we are. It also taught us another lesson that Wendy describes uh, this turning point this way. She says, accepting and working well as a follower of a flawed leadership is critical to becoming a good leader myself. How do we respect and love even flawed leadership well? We'll talk more about some of that and some other leadership lessons and the pain, but let me just give you right now three lenses through which you can uh, look at your own pink, pink on your timeline uh, in the form of three questions. How did God shape you spiritually and in your character through the pain and difficulty of your life? How did God provide guidance and direction? I mean, Sometimes the pain of disappointment and a, a door slamming in our face is really God opening an opportunity. We talk about that cliche, right? But how did God actually, how was God there for you in a moment like that, giving you direction? And how did God deepen and clarify your values for your life? What we're going to ask you to do for this is, again, probably write on a separate sheet of paper just like you write the insights for your previous one on a separate sheet of paper. And then when you've written out the insights, to summarize each one of those insights on a little blue sticky and stick it at the bottom of your timeline so you can see it all together in one place. And then, you know, God shapes a lot through some really positive experiences. So take some time to look at your yellow stickies and, and ask God what he wants to teach you from that as well. We're going to talk more next time about uh, how God shapes us through pain and some other leadership lessons from David's life based on some timeline things. But for right now, uh, do you have any questions or comments that you want me to interact with? Testing. There. Hello. Um, we've got a few questions for the service. First one is, um, Ross, last week's sermon regarding the teachings of Bobby Clinton really hit close to home for me. 
What books, writings, videos, etc. of his would you recommend? Also, has there been any discussions on Quest offering more in-depth discussions or classes on his teaching? Thanks. Yeah, so uh, let me take the first one first. Uh, Bobby Clinton has a book called The Making of a Leader. And again, he's very academic, and so it's going to be a slow read because it's very, very detail-packed. And it's a little bit difficult to read from that standpoint, but it's 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 like I talked about last week, the standard around which most leadership development processes in the Christian world for the last quarter of a century have been modeled. Uh, he's kind of the guy that is the most quoted guy. Um, and frankly, honestly, uh, there's some books that aren't Christian in that area that I would look at too. I would look at any stuff uh, around like Primal Leadership by Daniel Goleman. Um, and how God, and, and basically applying, because a lot of this, remember last week, a lot of the stages are how God is shaping our character and shaping our capacity for leadership. And some of the emotional intelligence stuff that uh, Daniel Goleman writes in books like Primal Leadership are, are great uh, side parallel application to this as well. Um, uh, also, has there been any discussions at Quest offering a more in-depth class? Yes. Um, uh, we're still working on trying to roll out a Discover Purpose class uh, that's going to actually walk you through this and other things as well. Um, we just have not had the bandwidth to get that offered right now. Um, if there are a lot of people going through this timeline work right now who feel like you need uh, input or somebody to help uh, and we get enough feedback, we'll plan a few groups informal group times, people can come and do that. Uh, that actually leads me to this, though. I would recommend, as you do this timeline, that you get uh, some spiritual mentors in your life and some family people who have known you a long time to take a look at your timeline, because a lot of times they're going to be able to help you uh, frame how God's at work. Because sometimes, especially if your timeline has a lot of pink on it, we can get lost in the pain of it and not realize how God is redeeming it. And sometimes it takes other people speaking into our life to be able to understand that. Got another one, Jacob? Yep. Um, the next question is, for the first step of the process, if I start coming up with a lot of stickies but then get stuck, should I spend some time thinking about more things and come back, or should I just keep going with the rest of the process? Um, yeah, just uh, if you get really stuck, take a break. And come back. And you can always keep adding more stickies later on. But more than likely, more than likely for most of us in the first 15 to 30 minutes of doing this, you're going to have all the core things, the big things out that really shape who you are. So um, if you're a very, very detailed personality, then you may need a little more time, and that's fine. That's the way you're wired. Uh, but you may want to at some point just say, I'm done unless something like big Big, big, big comes out and put it in a chronological order then. So, yeah. One more question, if we got one. Uh, the last question we have is, um, so how do I know if I've submitted well in a difficult situation and when a difficult situation is something that I should leave? Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because really a lot of this is about uh, God growing us in grace. And we need grace not when things are easy. We need grace when it's difficult, Right. But there are times when you should leave a place. Worship team, you can come on while I'm finishing this one. Um, so how do you know? Well, I'll just go back to my own experience. Being in a couple difficult situations, it took mentors in my life to keep me there and mentors to kick me out of the, kick me out of the nest. 
in those settings. So find some people who pray and have them speak into your life. And, you know, don't move until you feel like you have loved well, as well as you can, and God is calling you to go to something, not run away from something. Those are just kind of some general parameters for that. They ask, this process feels confusing. Will we get an instruction sheet? Yep. You'll get an instruction sheet. And what I'm going to recommend, even though I've, I've reviewed kind of the whole process, I'm going to recommend you don't read the whole instruction sheet from the beginning. You just start at step one, do step one. Go to step two, do step two. It'll lay it out for you really clear, and it's, and it's a process that's been used with not by me with thousands, but by other people with thousands of leaders, and it's done really, a really good process. So that's on the door on the way out. So on the way out, you're going to pick up the instruction sheet. You're going to pick up a big, maybe, maybe two 11 by 17 sheets because most of us have enough stickies to be bigger than one 11 by 17 sheet uh, that looks like the sheet that we had on the page on the screen, and, uh, and then we've got different colored stickies. You need some yellow, some pink, and either blue or green. Great. The next question is, so how do I know if I have submitted well in a difficult situation and when a difficult situation is something I should leave? Yeah. Isn't that the hardest decision? Because what we've just said is God wants us to stay faithful even in difficult situations, but yet at the same time there are times when we're supposed to leave. That's something that... uh, So for me, in some situations when that's happened, get a mentor in your life. Get somebody who prays for you and knows what's going on. Uh, The thing that saved me in a couple situations was some people who were intercessors and prayed with me on a regular basis. I'd I'd go for long drives with them at night while we'd pray while we talk and uh, and wait until you have confirmation from not just your own sense of peace that you've that you've done everything you're supposed to do but you've also got some other people speaking into your life that the time is right and confirming what God is doing and uh, and when you know you're going to something not running from something are kind of the ways that at least for me I've navigated those decisions in the past any more Jacob um, that's all the questions we have for this service. All right. Just a reminder, we'll post both sets of questions um, for the 9.15 and the 11 o'clock service in the podcast. So if you want to check that out, you can. Thank you. So worship team, go ahead and come. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just open your hearts and begin to pray even right now with me as we pray that God would bring some insight. There's areas of pain in your life that you've had a hard time reconciling and a hard time even understanding. The fact of the matter is, some of you are going through painful times right now, and the reality is we don't usually understand why and what God's going to do in that time for us until later. So, Lord, we just ask that you'd come right now to each and every one of us. Lord, you have, uh, you have been so good to be at work in our life all along. And Lord, I pray for uh, those here today who feel like they've made too many mistakes and that maybe they can't fulfill all the good purpose you have for their life. Lord, I pray that they would receive the truth that you even spoke over David, that even in spite of all his mistakes, you still worked in his life and you shaped all those things and you still allowed him to fulfill the good purpose you had intended for him. So, Lord, I pray that you'd turn that... um, sadness or that guilt from the past into hope. 
I pray that as, uh, as they do this uh, process this week, that you would bring out insights, that you would have friends speak into their life, and that for each and every one of us, Lord, that we would walk more confidently into the future you have because of seeing how you've worked in our past, how you've turned everything for good, how you've used even the things that we thought were unusable and you redeem them. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'd come. Come and do that among us. Help us to be patient, Lord, with the waiting and the reflection. Lord, for those areas that we don't want to go back and look at, I pray that you would guard our hearts and help us to look, at, look back at them and see how you were there and how you want to use that in our life and change it for good. Lord, we bless you and I thank you for the amazing purpose and destiny you have over each and every person's life here. Lord, come by your Spirit and just blow on that. Bring hope. Bring focus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.